Welcome. Here is this past Sunday's sermon from Grant Memorial Church. Friends, wasn't that fantastic? Yes, absolutely. Give them another round of applause. You know, when I came in this morning, it just warmed my heart to see them all up here uh, practicing. Um, it just reminded me of, uh, of my early years, my early years of involvement uh, at church. And it was so great to, to have the children join the adult choir this morning. Well, my friends, my name is Sean Sagard. I'm the Director of Pastoral Care and Local Outreach, and I'd like to take the opportunity to welcome you this morning to Grant Memorial Church, especially those who are watching us online as we once again dive into the book of Mark. Before we continue, I just encourage you, let's bow in prayer. And my encouragement once again to you this morning is that as I pray, invite you to be praying in your spirit as well heavenly father as we come into your house this morning we are grateful to be here we're grateful to be in your presence and as we do come heavenly father we humble ourselves we submit ourselves to your lordship in our lives and we pray heavenly father that you would open our hearts that you would open our ears we do not want to miss what you have for us this morning and so we pray and invite the Holy Spirit to move not only within our midst, but also, also within our hearts as we continue our study in the book of Mark. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, my friends, uh, 48 years ago was 1975. And the reason that I know that it was 1975 is that I was five years old. I'm actually excited to share that here in the early service because I know that many of you are going to be thinking to yourselves, wow, he's so young. <laughs> in the second service, it may be the opposite. But 1975 was a very hard year for me as a kid getting ready to go to kindergarten. It was hard because I was leaving the comfort of mom and dad, I was leaving the comfort of home to go to kindergarten, which was quite far away from where I lived. And so I had to take a bus to get to these unfamiliar places. So I was taking a bus, which was unfamiliar to a bunch of other students that were unfamiliar to a teacher, to a class that was so unfamiliar, so many unfamiliar things, and it was so incredibly overwhelming, and I dreaded it, especially in the beginning, I dreaded it. And so I have very vivid memories from back at that time. And one of the memories that I was reflecting on this week was when I decided uh, one morning as I was getting ready to go to, go to school that I, as I was walking toward the bus stop, which was a little ways away from where, where I lived, I decided that I was going to turn back, I was going to go home, and I was going to ring on the bell, and I was going to tell my mom that the neighborhood dog had chased me back home. <laughs> now, the neighborhood dog, poor guy, <laughs> Uh, he, he had his actually nothing to do with this story, but I just, I just didn't want to go. And so I rang the bell at home, and the worst thing happened. No one was there. 
And in that moment, I realized that my mom was somewhere else other than home, and so I had missed her, and so I ran back to the bus stop just to see the bus pulling away. And now I was in big trouble because I was five years old, and my mom wasn't home, and the bus had already left, and I was all alone. When I was growing up, one of the most difficult things for me to navigate were situations that were unfamiliar, where I didn't know the people around me, or what was going to happen next. These kinds of situations made me extremely uncomfortable, sometimes bordering on terrifying especially when I found myself separated from my home, my family, my comfort zone. Oftentimes, I didn't even know or understand just what it was that I was afraid of. Because as a small child, it's hard to navigate one's own feelings. Unfortunately, these experiences conditioned me to be afraid of any new and unfamiliar situation instead of embracing the potential fun, adventure, and excitement that could await. Even into my adult years, fear and anxiety were regular companions. One of the ways that I would cope was to do everything that I could to prepare myself for what I considered to be the potential worst-case scenario. Oftentimes, this meant saying no to different opportunities that came my way, as well as sabotaging the efforts of others who were trying to nudge me outside of that zone I was so comfortable in. Thankfully, I managed to navigate my school years, work, relationships, but, once, but every once in a while, my anxiety would get the best of me. And once again, I was preparing for the worst case scenario. Do you know what the hardest part of planning for the worst case scenario is? Wondering if your planning will be enough. What if something happens that could be beyond anything I could ever handle or expect? then I would be alone, trapped, with no way out or home or worse. You may find yourself being able to relate to this this morning. These are things that are still hard for me to think about, but I share this this morning because I now know with every fiber of my being that there is true hope that speaks not only to the worst of the worst-case scenarios, but to all of them for all people everywhere. I know this to be true because in Jesus, I have found it, live it. And this is where our passage this morning is leading us out of the worst-case scenario for all of us. 
Before we get there, I want to take us back to last Sunday where we learned from Pierre Gilbert that these very fears that I have shared with you this morning, the source not only of my worst case scenario, but of every worst case scenario that I or any of us can come up with, can be traced back to the Garden of Eden. Pierre taught us last Sunday that the decision of Adam and Eve to disobey God and to take a bite from the fruit brought about a profound and catastrophic distortion into human nature, into our universe, bringing with it sin, evil, and death, ultimately separating you and I from God. The consequences of this separation continue to this day. However, however, since that very moment of their disobedience, God has been bringing into effect over the course of centuries a plan to remove the barrier that evil, sin, and death has brought about. And that plan culminates in the death of Jesus. So this morning, we find ourselves back in Mark chapter 15. Jesus has just died. The curtain in the temple, that four-inch thick curtain that Pierre talked about, has been torn in two. And we pick up things in verse 40 as we discover what happens next. In fact, I want to take us not to 40, but let's even look back at 39, which says... And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus said, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who himself had been waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in the tomb, cut out of the rock. He then rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. My friends, here in this passage this morning, we discover in these very moments that the absolute worst case scenario has come to pass for those who were following Jesus. This is what Jesus knew was coming and was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane to be released from. This is what Peter drew his sword to try and fight against. This is what Peter and the other disciples went to hide from as they ran away and abandoned him. 
The death of Jesus meant the end of their hope that he was the one that they had been promised, the very one that they had been waiting for their entire lives. Now, instead of preparing for a hope-filled future, they were thinking about a funeral. A funeral not only of a friend, son, brother, mentor, but of whom they increasingly believed was the Messiah, the Savior. My friends, for all the emphasis that we place on Good Friday as we focus on the death of Jesus, and we should, for all the emphasis we place on Easter as we focus on the resurrection of Jesus, and we should, today we find ourselves in between them both. Let us not miss or skip over the tension found within the Saturday in between. It is here within the isolation of Saturday that all those that had placed their hope in Jesus to this point are left with seemingly nothing other than their broken hearts, their broken dreams, and with no hope left to cling to. R. Kent Hughes says, without the resurrection, that depression of Saturday would have never lifted my friends, can, can you imagine what that would have been like for the disciples, for the people who were choosing to follow Jesus in that moment, what that Saturday must have been like? R. Kent Hughes continues, that Saturday before the resurrection was a day of desolation, shattered dreams, gloom, and inertia. Death and funerals have a way of bringing us to such places where hope truly feels unreachable. And this is something that remains true today. Three weeks ago, I was called by a funeral home, asked if I would be willing to conduct a funeral service for a young man at the age of 27 who had passed away from a drug overdose. The family had no church connection. Their background was Catholic. And so they were open and wanting for me to talk about faith. And so I drove to the family home, and as I got there, I encountered this young man's twin brothers and his parents, and they were utterly devastated. We had our meeting, and as I was, as I was getting ready to go, The funeral was on Wednesday, but they were having a viewing on Tuesday. And as I was walking out the door, the father turned to me and he asked with tears streaming down his face, would you please come on Tuesday to the viewing? I said, of course. Of course I will be there. Tuesday comes and I get to the funeral home. The family is arriving. We're talking in the foyer of the funeral home. The body of their son lays in the chapel. The doors to the chapel are closed. We are standing in the foyer. I say to the family, I say, you go and spend some time with him. And when you are ready for me, I will come and join you. They couldn't. They couldn't move. They didn't want to open the door of the chapel because they knew what lied upon the other end of it. Finally, the funeral director had to open the door 
and they walked in because my friends, as soon as that door opened, they knew that it would be real. Even though they knew that their son had passed away, they also knew that as soon as that door opened, there was no going back. They went into the chapel and they closed the door. And it has been such a long time since I've heard crying like that. To hear a cry coming from the chapel, I am sorry. I am so sorry. My friends, despite the many different ways that you and I are purposefully desensitized to death over and over again, death remains to be for all of humanity the true and final worst-case scenario. We know within our heart of hearts, just as I did standing in the foyer of that funeral home and listening to the wailing of a devastated family, that there is something terribly, terribly wrong when someone dies. That this worst-case scenario is not the way it is supposed to be, but rather than think about our inevitable death, we run, we hide, we fight against it and, and ignore the nudges from the one who is responsible for our very creation. Ben Witherington III says, it has been said that we live in a culture that is in denial about oh so many things. Denial of death, denial of responsibility, denial of wrongdoing, and the list can go on and on. How incredibly tragic that the very things that we should all fear and pay attention to is at the very top of the list of things we do everything we can to avoid, deny, and run from. Even the entertainment we consume that exposes us to so much death every day and we think little of it because to do so would require us to confront the fragility of our own future, our own lives. I believe one of the reasons for this is because we are ultimately afraid to step out of our comfort zone, afraid to have faith. We are afraid to place our faith in something that goes beyond ourselves, something beyond our worldly understanding, and have conditioned ourselves to reject something that feels just too good and simple to be true. Instead of choosing the way of faith, we choose to live in the tension, afraid to place our hope in the wrong thing and would rather not hope at all. I wonder if this tension many experience today looks and feels like the same kind of tension that maybe that those who were present at the crucifixion of Jesus experienced in the in-between of the Saturday. As we focus back here in Mark 15, within the tension of Saturday, we discover what faith looks like in the midst of the very worst-case scenario of the death of Jesus. And even before the coming reality of his resurrection, it is, we, it is here we discover that not everyone responds in the tension of Saturday by running away. Some respond by staying. 
others respond in ways that no one expected. The first is the Roman centurion. It says in verse 39, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. The Roman centurion, the battle-hardened Roman centurion who had most likely witnessed countless crucifixion before Jesus's, profoundly recognizes that something significantly different was taking place right in front of him. This is not the kind of death he was used to witnessing. This was different. Different from the worst case scenario that he is used to being desensitized to. In fact, he is so profoundly moved, he even testifies to it. Proclaims out loud his faith, not only for those present, but for history to record. The second, Mary, Mary, Salome, and the other women. Verse 40, some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Fascinating. Here at the death of Jesus, in the midst of the tension, we discover a remaining faithful few. And Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and of Joseph, Salome, among others, who have faithfully followed Jesus throughout the course of his ministry, caring for him, and even now, waiting to tend to his needs, even in death. Despite the devastation of the situation they now find themselves in, the worst, case of, the worst case scenario of his death had not even yet come to pass with Peter and the other disciples fleeing to disguise their discipleship. But these women remain. Why? Why do they stay behind? Why stay within the tension of what has taken place? Because they were faithful, even in the midst of Jesus' death to the very end. And despite no promise of what was to come on Sunday, they continued their ministry of care. They held firm in their faith. The third, Joseph of Arimathea. Verse 42, it was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who, who he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Now that the crucifixion is over, where are the disciples? Where is Jesus' family? Why is Joseph of Arimathea, of all people, the one to come and ask Pilate for his body? And why, why, why is Joseph of Arimathea choosing this moment of all moments to come forward. It is here in the shadow of Good Friday, within the tension before Easter, with no hope on the horizon, that Joseph steps up. Why? Sinclair Ferguson says, Joseph realized 
that no one can remain a secret disciple of Jesus indefinitely. There invariably comes a point at which we must burn our boats and cross our bridges. It may be when his real significance dawns, us, dawns on us with special power. It may be when others publicly reject Jesus and we must confess that we will stand with him whatever the cost. It may be both, as it seems to have been for this man. But in any event, every disciple must stand up to be counted. In the case of Joseph, he risked everything by doing so. My friends, I wonder, I wonder, without the tension in the shadow of Good Friday and of Saturday, would Joseph have had the opportunity by faith to step in and demonstrate in one of the most public of ways that he was a disciple of Jesus? It reminded me of a passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 9, which says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By that same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the un ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And this is the part I do not want you to miss this morning. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. My friends, it required faith for the Roman centurion to confess with his mouth that Jesus is the Son of God. It required faith for Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, Salome, and the other women to remain behind to witness not only the death of Jesus, but to remain on watch as he was buried. It required faith for Joseph of Arimathea to go and not only ask for the body of Jesus, but to risk his life before Pilate. His reputation as a member of the Sanhedrin and his future in which to do so. And my friends, it still requires faith today. Faith that despite the actions back in the Garden of Edom, Eden of Adam and Eve that brought evil, sin, and death our way was not the beginning of the end, but the beginning of a new plan orchestrated over the course of centuries by God himself. And my friends, you and I, we rest on what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life. 
But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised at the first of the harvest, and all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. My friends, in the midst of the many worst-case scenarios that are swirling around us, that are swirling around you today, let me be crystal clear that the very worst of which would be permanent and complete separation from God, and I am so incredibly grateful that the worst-case scenario has been defeated. The absolute worst-case scenario has been defeated. Has been defeated by the death and resurrection of Jesus in such a way that God remains holy and just and at the very same time provides a way for you and I the opportunity to experience full and complete restoration with him, ensuring that no matter what possible worst-case scenarios remain for us here on earth, that those who choose to follow Jesus will never, never be alone. We will never be trapped we will always have a permanent and forever home with him and we do not have to be afraid of death. Enabling us to no longer have to live in the desolation and tension of Saturday, but free to fully embrace the hope found in Easter Sunday if we will only believe it. It says in Romans chapter 10 verses 4 and then 9 to 13, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, my friends, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My friends, this morning this means that you no longer have to wait in the fear of the worst case scenario because of Jesus. This has been for me the most profound lesson of my life and one that I can't imagine my life or yours without. Now, this has not erased all the fear and anxiety from my life, but gives that fear and anxiety context in hope in the light of eternity, the hope that not only after death, but one for right here and now. One of the many ways that I know this is to be true is when I look back on that five-year-old boy who's missed his bus and no one is home. And what is he going to do? That little boy has no hope and he's terrified. But you know what? Hope found him. 
a man out of nowhere comes and helps me. Finds me a place to stay until my mom got home. And this has been the most profound lesson of my life. That God has always been there. In the midst of my worst case scenarios. And even when I experience fear and anxiety, I know that he is there. Walking beside me. Giving me the help that I need. And not just for eternity with him, but also for today. The fears and whatever worst case scenario of today that I can dream up. Because the worst case scenarios of today mean nothing in the light of what Jesus has done for me and for you on the cross. This past week, I found myself at the St. Boniface Hospital. I had the opportunity to visit with somebody who's in palliative care. Had the privilege of ministering to him and praying with him and, and he is somebody who knows Jesus and I have every confidence that when he dies that he will go and be with Jesus and I am so grateful for that after I finished talking with him and praying with him he was in the he was in the bed facing the window so as I was walking out the door I made eye contact with the with the lady who was in the bed next to him and I said good morning to her and she says immediately to me, can you do what you just did for him? And I said, yes, of course. I said, what is your name? She said, my name is Janine. I said, without missing a beat, this, this came from God. Uh, I said, without missing a beat, Janine, do you know Jesus? She said, yes, I do. And I said, oh, Janine, I'm so grateful to hear that. My friends, do you know Jesus? Are you able to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? If this is something that you have not had the opportunity to do, my encouragement is to do that today. And if this is the day that you decide that you want to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, my encouragement would be that you would tell somebody, that you would come to the front at the end of the service, that you would talk to myself or somebody else who will be at the front. Because, my friends, because of Jesus, we no longer have to live without hope in the worst case of scenarios. This morning is the first Sunday of the month, and what that means is, is that we are participating in communion this morning. What an incredibly appropriate passage that we have focused on this morning that leads us directly into communion. Communion is an opportunity, a symbol, a very important and powerful symbol for us together to reflect on what it means that Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. What a privilege to be able to do this together as a church community, but at the same time is a very intimate reflection for you. 
I'd like to call the worship team forward and, and my encouragement to you that as they lead us in worship this morning, I would like you to reflect on what it means that Jesus has died for you. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about our church or upcoming services and events, please visit us at grantmemorial.ca or on social media at at grantmemorialchurch.com.